Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. What could be Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 106 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, take you, the dear listener, along with me, onto the journey to true Cage Nirvana. And what is true Cage Nirvana, I hear you ask? Well, it's only the most ethereal, highest form of purest living and most beautiful, wonderful, phantasmagorical form of existence that one can ever achieve. And how do you do that, I hear you ask? Well, it's very simple. You just have to watch all of the movies of the man I call the Golden Hog of Hollywood, Nicholas Cage. So how are you? How have you been? Hope you've been well. We continue with 2023. We're five movies in. One more to go, and we finally got it. After what feels like a lifetime of waiting, Butcher's Crossing is finally here, and I'm joined by Larry Reed of the Your Move Creep podcast to get all into the second Western of 2023 for Cage. We're talking all about hairstyles, we're talking about Rayman the Horse, and of course, we're talking about buffalo testicles as well. We're covering it all, baby. It's worth the wait, it's worth the listen. Very grand old time was had with Larry talking about Butcher's Crossing. And you've got a corker of an episode coming up. And if you do enjoy the episode, be sure to give the podcast a like, a rating, a five stars on, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and all that good business, wherever it is you're listening to this. Uh, the more likes and shares that it's got, the more people can find it, the more people can join on the journey to True Cage Nirvana and helps the podcast grow, just takes a few seconds of your time, a few clicks, and makes the world of difference. And if you want to reach out to the podcast as well, run all the usual social medias, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, all that good business, all the links down in the description. So be a friend, reach out, get involved, come hunt Buffalo with me, or don't, whatever, whatever makes you feel good. It's all a lovely time, all the same. So with that said, let's jump into this episode, episode 106, which is Crossing, Daryl Edge joined by Larry Reed. Enjoy. Duh. This week it is time to saddle up for Cage's fifth entry and second Western of 2023, it's Butcher's Crossing. Cage plays Miller, a mysterious frontiersman who leads a dangerous hunt out in the Colorado wilderness. Now, joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana this week to see if this movie crosses all our boxes or should just be butchered is host of Your Move Creek podcast, Larry Reed. Larry, thank you very much for joining. And how the devil are you doing? I'm going to give you a howdy. 
<laughs> seems apropos of this um, film. So yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. It's a Friday night. I'm relaxed. I'm going to talk about Nicolas Cage. So I'm quite happy. But all the stars are aligning. <laughs> the perfect conditions have been sent. Uh, been set up. The room temperature is a nice, comfortable 19 degrees. Um, as the nights get a bit colder. But the Cage movies of 2023 keep us warm yes. on the inside as well. So with that in mind, and always for new guests, especially to the podcast, joining um, as some may be on the journey to True Cage of Honor for the first time, uh, always eager to know, so Larry, your sort of Cage uh, history, um, everyone's got an opinion on the man, and we always ask, do you rate him? Do you hate him? Do you tolerate him? Uh, where do you stand on the man that I refer to as the golden hog of Hollywood? Uh, I love Nicolas Cage. Um, I've been a big fan of him since I was a kid, really. Um, first saw him in Raising Arizona. Nice. Um, that was probably one of my first kind of Cage experiences. And yeah, I love him. I love all these. I love some of the serious movies, but I do love and more sway towards the manic cage movies. I think really, the more sort yeah. of cheesy, the Con Airs, the Face Offs, the um, Bangkok Dangerous. Oh, you're a purist. You're a man yeah, of culture. A man of culture. Yes, I'm a lo- I love a <laughs> bit of straight to DVD um, cage as well. Oh, like, you know, some of us have lived it. Let's put it that way. Um, Up to 2023, which, thinking about your straight-to-DVD years, it it changes you as a person if you watch all of them. I've said it before on the podcast, I'll say it again. I'm not the same man that I was a few years ago when I thought this would be just a fun idea in the middle of the pandemic, and now I've gone through... I have gone through every single cage hairstyle is um <laughs> pestle yourself or you just experience them all here always yourselves i mean for the sake of making it sound like i'm really invested in this i'm gonna act like i have personally styled my own hair um in cage i've gone from like gorgeous fluffy like 80s uh teen heartfrog cage hair all the way to the spread eagle wing bird haircut of bangkok dangerous um <laughs> I think, and I think, like most people, I I was I considered just shaving my hair off in the pandemic. It didn't do it, you know. Will it be one of my life's great regrets? But then, here we are in twenty twenty three when we're getting not one but two bald cages. Very, very, very bold in this one. Um, and but as a as a trained, skilled barber myself, and ex hair, ex gents hairdresser, I should say. I do appreciate a nice barnet. And you've got a nice barnet just now as well, yourself. So I appreciate your lovely hair. That's very kind of you to say. I mean, for, uh, you know, (laughs) as this is an audio, as this is an audio medium for the listener, it is a lovely barnet, actually. Um, I don't think I talk about my own hair enough. Um, But if you ask my other half, it needs cutting. It's messy. You look homeless. Um, (laughs) I mean, you... I've sort of joked about this on the um, on the podcast before, like at some point, because I, I don't know if 
people talk about hairstyles as much as they do for Nicolas Cage. I have joked about this before to the point where, you know, sometimes you joke about stuff and then it becomes a, a serious thing. Um, he says, looking at the fact he's published over 100 episodes of a Nicolas Cage podcast right now and he's living that joke as we speak. But I've always wondered, should I just spend the time I don't have just chronicling from to- top to bottom, like best to worst Nicolas Cage hair? I mean, clickbait is the way to go. Lists and oh, yes. stuff. I mean, if there's anyone out there who's got, who I'm going to put out there, it's got the stones, the temerity, um, the intestinal fortitude, and I don't think they have, Larry, to click for a hundred slides of cage hair, uh, quite literally coming and going. Then it's <laughs> it's it's this lunatic right here. Um, but if if you've seen if you've seen a fair few cage films, though, I feel compelled to ask now, um, as an ex gentleman's barber yourself, do you have like a um, a personal favourite cage haircut? It has to be Cameron Poe. I, I mm. think like he just those flowing locks and the wind. That meme is everywhere. I'm sort of like smiling as it gets off the the bus. Yeah, that's definitely my favourite cage here. That is a beautiful barnet, to be fair. Hmm. Like when I, I'm trying to think what age it would have been. Um, Twenty odd years ago, when I first wanted to like grow my hair a little bit longer, because um, I thought, yeah, like, and I'm going to make a horrible confession now. Like once upon a time, when I was in like early teens, and I was watching T4, the channel, rest in peace, T4, as it would have been. And I saw Vernon K with long hair, and I was like, that's a fucking icon right there. <laughs> I saw Vernon K. TV's Sorry, I'm Vernon die from that, that anecdote there. <laughs> it was the quickest I've killed the guest off, to be honest. Uh, new record, so. But the first time I saw Vernon K on T4, I was like, what a beautiful man. My, my 14-year-old brain was like, it doesn't get better than this. Um, now, unfortunately, like I have thinner hair, um, so it turns out I can't really do the long hair because it blew one unfortunate day because, you know, I have got a bit of a big forehead as well. The wind was not in my favour, and someone looked at me and went, you look like Andy Pipkin. A um, little bit of reference for those of you in the know. And let me tell you, when I tell you that I was fucking ruined... You don't come back from that. Um, so, so I have more of a mental note of when the cutoff point for my uh, for my hair is now. But now, almost full circle, seeing Cage with the shaved hair, we've got it coming up again in Dream Scenario. I'm kind of thinking, mm. you know, maybe we just go all in. It's time to experiment. I know. I mean, I don't know... If I if my hair plugs scars will be as visible as they are as they are in Nicolas Cage in this. Oh yes. That's very, very I've like I said get some sort of like weird sort of rash and I went I went, no, no, yeah, 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 yeah. That that works out. No, that's literally medicinal on his <laughs> <laughs> on, on his on his head right there. I mean, I think, you know, I, I'm jumping jumping ahead a little bit here, but um Obviously, this um, would be the first time that Cage has ever sort of completely shaved his hair for a role. So, you know, two Westerns this year, working with A24 this year. 
he dyed his hair red this year and then he shaved it all off for movies this year so if we're talking on a purely follicle basis huge cage year massive arguably one of the biggest because i've you know we're on the topic of the hair i've charted this hair you know chronologically speaking and in quite literal ways i've seen his hair come and i've seen his hair go like a beautiful receding ocean on the beach i've seen it come and go and i've seen it go at the sides and then i've seen it come back completely straight and you thought i wouldn't notice cage you thought i wouldn't notice but i did um then he, he just appeared with like a beautiful young man's hair and like you're nearly 60 that's not yours <laughs> <laughs> um and obviously this like beautiful full thick uh sort of dark black beard uh hair shaved off and i think my notes were um holy hair plugs batman <laughs> little literally holy hair plugs literally you know and i don't deal in reading between the lines here i give you the fo- <laughs> i give you the full follicle facts the triple f baby <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so that is, you know, all that hair puns and more, and more to come as the episode goes on. Um, but obviously at the time of recording, Butcher's Crossing has only been out um, worldwide, limited release for a, about a week here. It's officially released at the Toronto International Film Festival last year in 2022. And then, um, as I've sort of brought up previously on the podcast, it just kind of disappeared like Cage's hair um, for, for a year and then sort of nothing happened with it. And then suddenly, um, I think if I remember, like a trailer for it just popped up on Russian iTunes, which was really strange. You know, say what you want about Russia. I'm sure a lot of them are lovely people, but they know how to get a Cage trailer. I'll give them that. I cannot, I cannot fault their wherewithal to get trailers. Um, but is it is this one um, that you had sort of had an eye on at all, or was sort of aware of prior to uh, prior to its release? Yeah, I've I seen the I seen pictures of it. I think with maybe either you or our old friend Petros has posted about it, and I was kind of interested in the cage in a western sort of spin to it. And especially some of like a mm-hmm. grittier western is ones I kind of like. You know, I like films like Hateful Eight and True Grit and Bold Tomahawk. Those sort of movies where it's like it's not as it's kind of shows the West or the Wild West in a sort of a more gritty kind of grimy sort of light. Mm-hmm. So I thought Cage in a Western is going to be pretty pretty good. And I seen sort of like pictures of you know the shaved head and the beard and the, the big giant sort of bear skin jacket he's got on of like. Yeah, he looks proper like evil looking. He looks sort of like scummy. It, kind of, it, sort, it sort of reminds me sort of like um kind of like Dennis Hopper in Waterworld. Just manky looking. <laughs> just very dirty and like like yeah. as if not had a wash in like years. But he's been near a bath, but it's not really went or like a river or a, a, a stream or whatever, and he's went like, No, I'm not interested. I'm I'm good to know. <laughs> and he just sort of let it let it <laughs> It's gets like Judas, like like big, like perfectly kind of like clean coat, but the rest of his body and face and hair and 
Um, well, his hair's quite shaved in quite nicely. He's got that nice razor blade. I do have to critique his razor blade um, skills. You don't hold it like straight like that. It doesn't work like that prop. Um, so a bit of a barber tip for you there. Don't, because you just <laughs> fuck your head up if you do that shit. And you fuck up your hair plugs as well. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I've I, I seen a quite a bit of it from you, from you guys and sort of the Cage fandom and being a fan of Cage myself, I was like quite interested to see a Wild West movie with Nicolas Cage being, you know, a sort of um, less polished mm-hmm. character. Yeah, definitely. As I said at the start, you know, 2023, we've uh, kicked off in January with the old way, mm. um, which I didn't mind. I, I, you know, if we're talking about, again, Cage hair, I think the first time he's had like an actual handlebar moustache as well. Yeah. So again, 2023, what a huge year if your hair on Cage's face. Um, old way, I didn't mind. It's a very, I think, by the book, straightforward, um, a bit predictable, traditional Western in many ways, but mm. it was okay. I don't know that many people will necessarily be talking about it by the time that the year is through. I don't think it's going to be on any top 10 lists. Um, but in the, in the same way, you know, you wait for two Western buses and uh, a bold one comes along um, and then you, you get on there. It's like, oh, yeah, this is all right. Um, we get Butcher's Crossing, which is, like I said, it's been in the works for a while, debuted at TIFF. I saw the reviews that came out of the Toronto International Film Festival were quite mixed on Butcher's Crossing, which are, which kind of made me wonder if that is part of why it took so long to come out um like 13 months later um one or two people seem to really enjoy it a lot of people just like meh it's cage is good he always is obviously um and then you know it again this is coming out at the same time limited release um at another period piece uh, killers of the flower moon is kind of out at the same time so and if you look on like letterboxd i think at the time of recording maybe just over 300 people have like left a review of this so it's going to be one of those that i think just because reasons not many people are going to be talking about it's kind of going to be skipped over and then it's for maniacs like me to pick up the pieces and be like this still happened right um which is always which is always fun but uh, this is Butcher's Crossing that is based on the 1960 novel of the same name, an adaptation of the book by John Williams, um, which is one of the few books that I've managed to read from cover to cover because, uh, one, I knew it was getting adapted into a Nicolas Cage film, so I was like, I have a duty, I have an obligation to read these words and make sense out of them. Um, and I will say... You know, not to turn this into massively like a book versus film kind of thing, because I think adaptations have to stand on their own for bison legs. Uh, but the book, fantastic book. Um, it's very much like an anti-Western. Mm. Um, John Williams, I think, is a fantastic author. Very descriptive. I felt I was shooting those bison as well and going, fucking yeah, boy, get it, you silly four-legged beast. Um <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, this was like a holiday book that I took with me last year to uh, one of them there, Canary Islands. 
And part of the reason why I got through it so much is that um, I, ma I made a holiday clangor because as a pale, strawberry blonde man, I made the mistake of thinking the Factor 50 would protect me for longer. I was blinded by hubris, and within 24 hours, I had to apologise to my girlfriend because I'd fucked it and spent more than half the holiday in the hotel room with swollen, burnt legs. Um, now, that aside, <laughs> now, that aside... Um, I, I would ask, um, uh, had you like read read the novel um, of Butcher's Crossing at all? No, I'd not come across it. It's a new one for me. I, I definitely, after watching this movie, would really like to read the book now. I think, I think I'd like to see. Or you could probably tell me yourself, but I'd like to see if there's it's quite a lot of, if it's more graphic in the, the book or it's it's more, um, insane because this movie does get quite grim and kind of dark and very like mm -hmm. very trippy at points as well i think and um, which i'll probably make, make into but yeah i think it's i think this the film it's one of the cases where i've i've seen the film and realized i really want to read that book now it sort of yeah. reminds me kind of obviously a lot less in terms of of graphic nature but like Blood Meridian, maybe a bit like that, a bit more kind of Cormac McCarthy-esque mm -hmm. sort of tale, um, which sort of led me to really like the movie, I think. So, yeah, I've not read the book before, but I'm definitely going to pick up now and check it out. It's really kind of piqued my interests. Yeah, this, like, when the credits started rolling on this, I think because I'd had, I guess, the sort of insight of having read it before, um... I was kind of like, I would, I would really want to read the book again because, you know, like I say, I, I hate getting into that whole, um, you know, you should read the book or the film's better or the book's mm. better, you know. I'm not trying to open up that can of worms or start that debate or anything, even though the book is better. Um, <laughs> but it, it's, you know, it, it's very detailed. It's very descriptive. Um, I think it was always going to be a difficult one to adapt because it is quite a slow burn book and it really builds the setting and, has the whole vibe of like man versus nature and manifest destiny and all of that. But one of the things, and I think this sort of helped because at the time Cage had already been announced as Miller um, by the time I sort of read the book as well. Um, I think, I do think though that Cage is a perfect casting for Miller because reading the book, the way they sort of describe him, the way he sort of sometimes like the slow intentional way that he speaks and everything he does has a purpose. I was like, I was reading it in Cage's voice, just reading a book there, half delirious with sunburn in the Canary Islands, going, I'm going to kill that buffalo. So, <laughs> that is spot on. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, when you are fighting for your life because your flight's not for another five days, you have time. You know, um, when you are smothered head to eyeball in aloe vera and ice packs, um, you start thinking about all of your life choices, which is a. Uh, you know, th th this is almost cathartic in a way. Talking about this episode, so I can every time I look at the book, I'm like, all I can think about is fire, uh, the red raw flesh that was a man. The doctor said that used to be a man that did that. Just pulp on the floor now. You see that gristle that used to be a boy that did. That boy was a podcast host. Um, so I was very. You know, in you know, in summary, Your Honor, um, I was very interested to see what they did with the film, um, and how they would sort of 
adapt it and how the characters were sort of fit in. Um, and reading some of the behind the scenes, it does look like they only had 18 days to shoot this movie, which seems insane. Yeah. So, I mean, it tried, didn't, didn't really seem to be any information about the budget or what, if any, box office is taken at the moment. Um, so nothing at the time of recording. But uh, 18 days to shoot this, like two and a half weeks, the director, Gabe Polsky, said he uh, told uh, Werner Herzog, because uh, they'd previously worked together on another Cage film, Bad Lieutenant, Port of Call, New Orleans, in 2009. Uh, Gabe Polsky produced that. That's where him and Cage had worked together before. Um, and he told Werner Herzog that they only had 18 days to shoot the schedule. And Herzog replied, even a magician couldn't make the movie in that amount of time. Um, which, from the interview I read, Polsky added, that was not what he needed to hear the day before shooting. So, <laughs> so Yeah, it's not, well, felt, not filling you with confidence, is it, really? Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's good to know that sometimes working relationships, you know, far transcend these uh, mortal, mortal vessels that we call bodies. Especially for somebody like like Werner Herzog to say that the one that can most sort of get, for his sort of like um, shoots they seem pretty manic and crazy and a bit fucked up. So for him to be like, listen, I'm not going to touch that. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do that in 18 days. Fuck that shit. Seems quite <laughs> <laughs> seems like a bad woman, really. Yeah, it's like this coming from a man who got people to build a boat and then drag it by hand over a mountain. You're telling me that this is fucked. Um, cool, nice one, Werner. Appreciate it. Kids crying now, um, but it sort of came together, and I think there's some. Um, it's based in Colorado, I believe. It was all shot in Montana. Yeah. Um, there is a you know a lot of sort of gorgeous shots of nature. Um, there is some also probably down to budgetary and time constraints there's some fucking heinous cgi um in in the forest but it's clearly just a i mean like right sometimes you have to use cgi that's just kind of how it is i'm not a filmmaker i can't sit here and pretend to know the struggles the trials and the tribulations the labor of passion the blood sweat and tears that go into it you know it makes it takes hundreds of people to sort of come together and make it but then when you just slot in um some of the cast in front of a CGI forest. And then they did, it's like if you didn't use like a shaky camera at the same time to try and hide it, which you just made it worse. I was like, you should just give me like just a one minute close up of those hair plugs and I would have forgotten all about it. <laughs> I'm sick of this cowardice in Hollywood, right? Give me what I want. Um, but sort of by the time the credits roll, then I said, well, we'll sort of break it down a little bit more as we go along. I was kind of like, I think my initial thoughts were, yeah, that was all right. It wasn't bad. I don't think it was as bad as a lot of the reviews are saying. Mm. Um, but at the same time, again, appreciating the constraints and, and, and all that such business, it definitely didn't feel like it was... I don't know, as deep and as important as they wanted you to think it was. Mm, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, I I would say, you know, what would 
by the time the credits were rolling and Butcher's Crossing, what would have been your sort of immediate first thoughts when you sort of sat back and like, oh, okay, okay. Like, you know, where, where were you sort of at there? I think I was really just like where you are. It's like, oh yeah, that's okay. I mean, it was, as far as, you know, the as, as a Western goes, I enjoyed it for that part. It's obviously a good Nicholas Cage performance. He's not, you know, super manic cage, though he has that sort of like the, the grin at one point. You're like, oh, he's he, he going to start now. He's going to start getting mental now. But there isn't really, I don't know, it's not as, it's definitely not one of his best ones. And it's definitely not one of the best Western movies I've seen. There's certainly a lot of better movies. But yeah, I mean, like, I would, if you put it on again, I would watch it. I mean, I would revisit it, but and definitely if I had to read the book again, I would re- revisit it again and check it out. But yeah, it's yeah, it's, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's a a, a, a favorite. It's not going to be like go down as like my top ten movies or even Nicolas Cage movies. I think it would just be yeah, that was good, and he played a good part, and some of the other guys were quite good in it. Xander Berkeley is good in it. Um, the young boy plays Will was really good in it. I thought he sort of he may be one of the better things, better people in it. I think, but one of the better actors. I think he plays the the sort of like kind of plucky youngster into mm-hmm. sort of the descent into madness sort of way quite well in it. And he kind of comes out the end sort of quite um changed. I would say def- very very changed in fact. But yes, I don't think I would really. I'd maybe I'd maybe recommend it, but I don't know if I would be like emphatically going, Oh, you need to watch this, it's like amazing, this is an amazing Nicolas Cage movie. I would say if you like Westerns and you want to see Nicolas Cage be a fart you know, a fart trapper basically in it, then this is a movie for you. If you like um Nicolas Cage getting absolutely rock hard over some sweet fucking pelts, um then <laughs> then I think Butcher's Crossing is probably gonna be on your uh you're at your top must see uh must see this there um now the sort of the movie itself it's basically i think in the most simplistic terms it's um the the gap year from hell is basically what it is it's what happens when a journey of self-discovery gets absolutely fucking tits up um this is uh, Opens in Canvas, Canvas in Kansas, I should say, eighteen seventy four, and we're introduced to Will Andrews, uh, played by Fred uh, Hetchinger, uh, Heckinger, uh, one of the two. I don't know. Big F, we'll call him Big Fred, um, who was also you may have seen him in the uh, Fear Street trilogy that was on Netflix. Probably where he's going to be most well known from. Uh, Plays Will and- Andrews, who's uh, leaving. Harvard life behind because he wants to find meaning in his life sort of beyond Boston and I, I don't know I guess in 1874 the idea of the gap year wasn't really a thing so it's either you get into the family business or you get fucking blood on your hands there's no in between um, and we're effectively following his journey he gets to uh, Butcher's Crossing to meet a man called JD McDonald who um, He's known as a buffalo pelt seller um, at some point. His family had taken him in about 14 years prior. Um, so he's gone to him just to see if he can get some of that real manly vocational work. So 
you know, some people drop out of college at 16 and start uh, fucking forging iron and cutting some wood down. This guy's like, I want to kill beasts. Um, he says with a, a wry young smile, uh, say what you want about old Will. He f- fucking loves watching things get killed. <laughs> Um, I suppose, what what did you sort of make, you know, because Will is very much our um, our entry point, our eyes into this world of uh, the 1870s trapper, the, the sort of the pelt collector. Um, you know, what did you sort of make of his journey throughout this? And did you sort of, um, sort of buy into the journey? Did you feel sort of sympathy for him? Uh, what did you sort of make of uh will sort of broadly speaking i think in very very real terms he, he lives to regret his choices very very yeah. quickly yeah um he does seem to be very you know kind of plucky as i said before the he sort of quite excited by this sort of going into a sort of new vocation and trying something new and seeing the world but i don't think he really knows what he's, going, what he's bargaining for, really. Um, these people are obviously a lot stronger willed than, than he is. Stronger willed, there you go. Bit of pun there. Um, yeah. He just, I think he, he doesn't realise that, he sort of think, I think he's maybe, in a way, sort of fantasised about, you know, the, the, the cowboy life and being on the open road and, you know, stealing cattle and, like, just, you know, shooting... Native Americans and causing bloodshed mm-hmm. uh, forever. I think he just goes for the sort of movie and realizes, like, slowly, slowly, this isn't the life for, for me. And by the kind of end of it, he's completely just like, I think he's just completely gone at that point. I think he's just, he's not the man that went into that office that day and kind of wanted to see the world, as he says, but he's seen a bit more than the world, he's seen fucking darkness. He's seen, he's seen the the butthole of hell, and uh, <laughs> came at the came at the end of it. But he's still very, very changed by the end of it. And I think, I think it's it's sort of it's sort of not funny. But you see, the you always like, as as an older man, as a forty one year old man, you see these youngsters go, "I'm going to leave. I've left uni, and I'm going to go around." Nepal and Thailand and then they get fucking put into like trafficking or something like that and you're like well well fuck you fucked it then didn't you so (laughs) so or they get robbed or they get like I don't know yeah they become like drug mules um they were studying like a b-tech in home economics or something like that (laughs) he sort of realized quite quickly that Maybe she just stayed and been an accountant or whatever he was studying to be, or maybe just came back to his dad like cap in hand and went, "Look, university's not working out for me. Let me do my own thing. Maybe I can work on taxis or some shit." And now he's like just completely like, "I've seen darkness. I've yeah. seen the devil, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> There's no coming back, Dad. Buffalo everywhere." Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just can't get can't get washed. It's almost like a really there's a bit of a, a moment where or quite a few moments for the movie where he's he's constantly like the river trying to wash the blood off, but it's almost as if a sort of a Lady Macbeth sort of esque 
moment where he's he can't kind of wash off the sort of like the darkness and the the blood and the kind of crystal of this life now. He's just kind of like this is what I'm in. I'm in here now. I'm sort of um, packed in now, so I need to realize that I can't go back to the way I was before. I've got blood in my hands, literally and figuratively. So now I need to sort of adapt to that way. But I don't think even by the end he's like, "Thank fuck, I'm out of this now." So they get to the point where like his play just like burning shit down. You're like, he's like, "All right, okay, fine. This is fine. This is it's like literally that meme. This is fine. This is this is what I wanted to happen." Yeah. yeah, of course. Of course, this end. This is the way it ends because that's the way I deserve. I fucked it. Okay, cool. Awesome, <laughs> sweet. And then right off into the sunset, essentially. Yeah, yeah. He's that <laughs> yellow dog in the hat by the end of it. Um, but yeah, his journey is very much summed up by the uh, the lyrics of the theme from Friends. So life. So no one told you life was going to be this way. Clap, 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 clap. Yeah. Um, your job's a joke. You broke. And all the buffalo in Colorado are dead. Clap, 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 clap. Um, I think when he he gets introduced to Miller, and Miller just sort of tried to warn him off at the end. He's like, "Look, this ain't um, this li- ain't the life for you. You're gonna be better off chopping wood. You don't you don't want any part of this buffalo business. Um, you don't want to be, as they sang, a buffalo soldier in the heart of America." Um... <laughs> no. No, um, no, Daryl, you can't do that. I'll do it again. <laughs> my podcast, my rules. Uh, and he, he meets um, sort of Miller, basically buys favor with Miller, gives him all the money that he's got, like the five, six hundred dollars. And I think he very much looks at Miller, who's got this very... Um, there's a mysterious sort of malevolent presence about him. This isn't a man of experience who might have said, like, look, I've uh, seen basically the El Dorado of Buffalo. It exists. I've seen it. It's wall-to-wall Buffalo. They're just, like, rubbing shoulders of each other. Um, and he looks at Miller, I think, the way I once looked at Vernon K on T4, and I was like, this is it. This masculinity does not get any fucking better than this right now um so in many ways i understood it i was like yeah i completely get it i understand why you're standing there with a rager young man you've seen the pinnacle of manhood all right and i was completely on board for will i was there tears down my face i was fist pumping the air i stood i clapped i cheered um which i think is i'm the only person who's ever done that for this film um given the reviews I've sort of said on Letterboxd and the like. Um, but he was also uh, also part of the party. We have um, Xander Berkeley, who is the uh, who plays Charlie, who's basically the camp manager. Um, I guess the, the way to, the only real way to describe his character is just a rambling old man who sometimes can scare off wolves. It's like... <laughs> Just with just with the effectiveness of like, I swear I did it once. He's just throwing dust about everywhere. He's lost a hand, um, and and I don't know if it was just like the version of it I watched, but like I know like Gazan Berkeley's an accomplished and sort of very you know competent actor. But I'm going to be honest, when Charlie was on screen, I couldn't understand a fucking word that rambling lunatic was talking about. Not a thing. 
Yeah, there's. I mean, I like Xander Berkeley. Turns up in a few things. He's in a really great episode of X Files called Ice, which is like in the first season, which is really, really good. He's in The Walking Dead for a good bit. He plays that sort of mayor for sort of like settlement kind of camp thing. He's really good in that. But yeah, like you, you I can have to sort of go. Excuse me, I, I don't know what you said there, Charlie. Can you repeat that? Obviously, Nicholas Cage. It's almost like a Chewbacca Han Solo thing. Nicholas Cage can understand everybody says at any point, even from like miles away. He's like, oh, I can hear him what he's saying. Yeah, it's fine. He's saying this. You pissed off, Charlie. Um, but no, I had some <laughs> some struggles with him as well. Yeah, I think I would prefer it if Charlie did just can warble like a Wookiee. Like Nicholas Cage is just there, like shaving his head with like the dull end of a blade the wrong way, chopping his face to bits. Charlie's just back there going, and then Will's going, I want to go home. This is insane. And then Fred's just there knocking about, saying something about whores because he's either drinking some kind of whiskey or he's talking about banging. You know, these are the find characters, people. These are rounded, fleshed out human beings, part of the world. Um, I suppose Fred's Fred's got a bit more of a he's a bit more of a foil to Miller because he's the one of the group who's a lot more vocal when they're out there and traveling. And he's saying, like, "Look, we we don't need to be here. We can sort of go. It's too dangerous." We've got too many pelts. And then he's looking at Will and he's like, I'm going to raw dog your woman like you've never seen, young man. I'm going to make you fucking watch. Because, um, you know, this sort of goes back to the book. Like, there's um, like a character called Francine who, uh, in the book, has sort of a lot more um, to do, a lot more purpose, um, a lot more effect on like the character of Will. Here, Francine is. There's kind of no point for her to be there, other than sort of. She really just kind of gets set up as like a reason for Will to get back, mm. so that he might be able to, you know, go a night without rubbing one out under a fucking buffalo pelt, like the rotter he is, like the rotter they all are. Um, and Fred's just kind of there to be the annoying voice of reason. Um, which I think was necessary in all of this because he's set up as the best or the only person who's able to skin an animal in Butcher's Crossing. Um, and there's there's a lot more sort of drama between him and Will in the book and a lot more building up of their relationship because in the film, you know, Will's like, oh, I'll pay for you to do this journey, but I'm also a quick study. I'm quick on my feet. I can learn really well. In the book, like he can't skin for shit. Like he can skin one buffalo to every five that um, that Fred does. In this one, is like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm like a level one hundred skinner. I didn't about tell you that I'm I'm skinning all the time. Um, so there's there's not as much drama that it builds up between the two of them. Um, and then, I suppose, what what did you sort of make of Fred? Because I. I I thought there'd be maybe a bit more sort of drama, but sometimes you're just like, <laughs> basically his character for me was like a necessity. And I, I had no issue with him being there. But at the same time, if you could sum it up in just a noise, it was like, man, ah, I'm tired. 
I want to get home. Yes, he's sort of a giant toddler. But he's also <laughs> the kind of only sane one there. He's the only one that doesn't seem to kind of lose his marbles, really, in some sort of way. Charlie has obviously already lost his marbles and cannot speak in coaching sentences. <laughs> um, and Will's obviously slowly going fucking mental. And Nicholas Cage is Nicholas Cage, pretty much, through the movie. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's sort of, like you said, he's the voice of reason. He's not the... He is kind of annoying and he's like, he is kind of whiny. And um, he's obviously very much one of the most heated one in the camp, but he seems to be the one that's like going like, this is stupid. Why? We can't kill every buffalo that's ever lived. <laughs> we can't spend like, I'm not going to spend like skinning 2,000 buffaloes for the rest of the year. Um, And, it, and it's, it's sort of kind of, kind of poignant because by the end of the movie, all his like, moaning and going on about things it sort of it sort of proves himself right it sort yeah. of it comes to the point where he's like if we don't listen to him if I'd have been fine I would have got my money I would have you know I would have kind of went away and be living a life of Riley and we wouldn't be as fucking mental and I wouldn't have ruined this, this young boy's life Um. but yeah I think I think by the end of it he's just Seen as the the asshole of the group, the kind of annoyance of the group, but he just tends, tends to be the person that just is telling the truth and is the one that's probably would probably just I would probably save the whole thing, but no, by the end of it, he just just dies, and I'm sad about <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, it was a very um. Mm. I mean, I'm, you know, not to spoil the book too much. Um, the death is different in the books. It's in the film, in the adaptation. The death is how to say this as sensitively as possible. Very funny, um, just because of how I don't know how carry on it almost seems. How it's just slapstick. It becomes. Yeah, it's a bit like that. Yeah. Yeah, you because know, he's he's trying to be like <laughs> the voice of reason this whole time, and it gets to the point where all the camp are sort of saying to Miller, like, "Look, we have enough pelts here. We need to get back. We're, we're going to be rich. We're going to make it big off of these pelts." But Miller is, um, Miller has been overcome by, and I've used this word sort of already to describe it. This like malevolence, like he becomes this different person when he's out on the hunt. Like he, the only thing that matters is the hunt. It's him versus the buffalo. It's him versus nature. And he he has this drive. He has to kill. He just sort of has to do it. There's this darkness within him that sort of I think Cage sort of toes a line very well to the point he doesn't become like over the top. It's there's an underlying sinisterness which I think is played very well by Cage here. Um but he sees like these thousands of buffalo and he's like You've got to pick out the leader. The leader's full of scars. The leader's got the biggest fucking hog. Um, the leader does the Charleston on a top hat. Um, so he's he just wants them all. <laughs> he just wants them all fucking gone. Um, and he, they've only got the sort of one wagon. Obviously, they're struggling. The horses pulling the wagon are struggling. The donkey's struggling. Um, and then they've, they've got way too many pelts. And Fred is the one who's warning him, like, look, the wagon is not going to make it. 
uh, we have too many. We need to shed some weight. We're not going to make it up this hill. We're not going to make it down this hill. Um, but he falls on deaf ears and they're taking the wagon up the hill. Um, the wagon just fucking explodes. <laughs> it just, <laughs> the wagon just explodes. Um, it, it just, you, you could play the Benny Hill theme music to it. Um, yeah. it, ro- it ro- rolls back, falls off a cliff. The funniest part being that even though Fred's on it, his body disappears. It's not on the wagon when it falls off. Um, but we're led to believe that he fell off the cliff as well. And then um, Miller and Will are just sort of looking with their mouths open like, oh, I guess he was right. Oh, that's a shame. Um, so all the pelts are gone. He's dead. Um, like I said, it, it's, a, it's a very different and... I suppose just as sudden, but in a more affecting way in the book. Um, obviously, Charlie also dies as well. In and this was kind of like you blink and you miss it because the scene where it happens, <laughs> I'd sort of put my head down, start making some notes. Then all I heard was a gunshot, and then the next thing was Charlie's in a hole. Um, what is going on? Which also leads me to one of the funniest scenes in the movie, which is. Will watching Fred fight for his life, shitting his guts out. Yeah, that was great. Just, yeah. just amazing poop sounds, just picturesque sound quality. <laughs> Dolby stereo fart <laughs> that. <laughs> like, it's not meant to be poisoned. Not like I've like IBS. It's like yeah. it's yeah. very strange. So I, th- I think it is strongly implied that Charlie has been trying to poison Fred for some reason. Um, I think it's because he's the only one who's speaking out against things and he's becoming a bit of a hassle for everyone else, even though he's the only one talking sense. Um, The old crazy prospector Charlie tries to poison him. Uh, Fred catches on and then um, Will sort of finds him in the forest just with his long johns around his ankles making sounds that could only be described as <laughs> and you know as a man who regrettably in his 30s still has an energy drink for breakfast I'm going to put it out there um, skip ahead 15 seconds if you don't hear this if you're still here I fought for my life most mornings for the past 10 years alright I related to Will when he saw Miller I related to Fred when he was squatting in that jungle um so in many ways, this is the truest reflection of my life that has ever been portrayed on film. Therefore, it gets five stars. Um, yeah, I've, I've got to sort of agree. Um, as a man who likes to put seasoning on his food that maybe shouldn't do because he doesn't can't handle it, yeah, I'm, I'm in that fight with you, brother. <laughs> solidarity. <laughs> the solidarity of the porcelain throne solidarity for those with the red raw sphincter every goddamn day <laughs> i'm at you know some people podcast for a noble cause but i fight for the working man all right I, i'm the man who's telling it like it is <laughs> god 
if no one ever listens to the podcast again, I've done, I've deserved every failure that comes my way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but then um, Fred sort of finds out that Charlie's been poisoning with, I think it was the wolf powder. Yeah. Which God knows, I think, I think it was some kind of 1870s Viagra of its day. Um, the hashtag was get that dog in you. Um, and then Charlie gets shot through the face as a mercy because Fred's pummeled him into pulp. Um, which I don't know what it is about cinema. When it, every time you like, you don't see the killing, and you just see a picture of like a clearing, and then a gunshot echoing through, ringing. I don't know why I always find that so funny. I wanted to see that mercy killing as well. I wanted to see that old rambling man get put down like a dog, but. Or like a buffalo? Or like a buffalo. Yes. Oh, poor things. I mean, I suppose, speaking of the buffalo, obviously they are they are the aim of the game in Butcher's Crossing. Uh, they are the aim of the game for Miller. This is what Will believes is going to um, give him that insight into a life that he's never had. I suppose in today's society, if, you know, a young one was like, look, I think it's the time that um, I need to like travel. I need to do the gap here. I need to sort of find myself. He'd be like, oh, cool. That's a very, that's a very noble pursuit. You know, you, you got this one life, go and take this time, explore. So try and learn more about yourself, learn more about the world, come back as like wiser, more open-minded and say, oh, what do you think it is you're going to do? Like, are you going to, you know, go, work around he's going to travel the country you're going to go travel abroad you're going to get some jobs what are you going to do and then they look you in the eye and say i want to kill fucking animals i want to wipe out an entire fucking species that's how i'm going to find myself in the blood of innocence and my first thought was would be are you a fucking batman villain (laughs) do i need to put you in a goddamn asylum boy but different rules in the 1800s you know yeah i think they even i think even at the end of it they have sort of a, a kind of um text or scroll at the end now they said that they'd, they'd actually wiped out to like the last 300 buffalo at that point and i was like yeah that yeah. is it's like it was like three million or something at that one point and they just completely fucked them all and just that's just in america which is like actually bananas if you think about it like so I thought it was quite a cool thing at the end. So like the buffalo they used in the film were, you know, the Native American kind of heritage buffalo almost. I think they were. So it's all filmed on heritage land, which is quite cool, owned by the Blackfeet. And then all the kind of buffalo were used were, were they, what they owned. They're all, all sort of like, um, what would you call it? When they sort of a species, sort of um. Oh, I don't know what order they're using. When they're, when they're kind of in captivity or they're out in the, in the wild, but you're kind of looking after them, making yeah, sure that you know like they're a, not being like killed by the conservation effort to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's sort of a nice um, sort of message at the end. Um, basically, it gives you, and it's one of those things where, you know, I suppose the intention of this movie is, you know, one to bring an adaptation of a great book to life, but two, it's also to a. Um, I suppose cast some more eyes on 
a part of American history, which they're not, you know, probably going to be teaching every one of those that you sort of have to find out for yourself in a lot of ways. Uh, I think they said it was 1860. There was a estimated 60 million bison roaming the American West. Two decades later, that population plunged to fewer than 300. Uh, now today, there are approximately 30,000 in North America. Um, and that they add that the American bison was named the national mammal in 2016. The Native American tribes helping conserve the population. Um, and as you quite rightly said, um, all the buffalo in the film are handled by the Blackfeet Tribe Buffalo Program. Film shot on land owned by the Blackfeet Nation in Montana, whose mission is to care for the bison restored to their ancestral homelands, conserve wildlife habitat, aid in tribal food, sovereignty, and revitalize buffalo culture as well. Um, and obviously, um, you sort of think, that, oh, that, that's great. Like, I didn't know about sort of the, uh, the struggle, the plight of the buffalo, but it's, you know, very reassuring to know that the, the population is slowly rising up and they're a protected animal. So they've got the bison. We're protecting the swan over here. So we're all doing our bits for the culture. Um, you know, I was sort of thinking about that. That's like you know, protecting fucking like geese and like foxes and beagles and whatever, whatever the queen king dog is. Reminded me of a time when like I went to Butlins when I was like 12 or 11 and me and my friend met this uh, kid from Liverpool and we called him the, uh, the goose chuck kid because he enticed a baby goose to come over and he grabbed it and he threw it back in the river. Um, where he is now, I don't know. I assume prison. I've never been so befuddled in my life. I couldn't believe what I'd witnessed. It's like you just you just fucking overhand yeeted that swan. But like I know it's gonna grow up to become a bastard, but he doesn't know that. It's just part of its nature. So you know stories, lessons learnt, unfortunately. Butcher's Crossing brought back a lot of memories for me, is what I'm trying to say here. Um, all of them, all yes. of them absolutely absurd. All of them in any other context. I, like Will in modern times, I would have been in the padded room right next to him. Like, I saw that Scouts kid throw that swan. I know what I saw. <laughs> um, but I, I think, you know, speaking of the bison, it's like one of the much more affecting scenes or, you know, um, a bunch of like scenes is when Miller is just going into that that sort of dark place, and he's showing Will how to kill, and he just he just won't stop shooting, and bison just going down and dropping, and it's um, sort of the editing of that is one of the parts where I I felt like I was paying most attention to the movie, mm. and just watching these creatures just. They don't know what's going on. They're just getting taken out left, right, and center. And um, Will is just becoming obsessed to the point later on where Will is shooting in the direction of the buffalo to get them to run away. And Miller is chasing after them, just screaming because like, this is like, this is his whole existence just to like take out this species. And um, it's just. You know, one of the more powerful and affecting sort of moments of the film, but with those harder, darker scenes of um, these creatures sort of being taken out, and what what were your sort of takes on that, and how did that 
you know, how did that sort of make you feel when you were sort of watching those those moments go along as well? Oh, I fucking loved it. <laughs> <laughs> and as a carnivore, I loved it every every second of it. Jeff's kiss. Um, no, <laughs> it's kind Sanders of like it's, it's quite affecting because even though there's kind of bits where Nicholas Cage is kind of getting into a bit of a cage rage, wink. Um, I love it. Yeah, there you go. Um, and he's kind of shooting everywhere, and he's just kind of, he's just constantly like mowing down Buffalo, like it's the fucking Punisher. It's like a, it's like like the big big scene in Predator. Um, it's just bananas. But then, yeah, it does sort of humanize the buffaloes a little bit because there's bits where he's kind of looking in his eyes, and there's a, a very kind of weird scene where goes a bit Twin Peaks because Will's looking into the eye of the buffalo, and he goes a bit mad, and he sees it flashbacks forward and back, and the sort of snow falling and a weird watery effect, like it's we're watching Twin Peaks. Yeah, um, we're about to go in the Black Lodge. Um, it's it's. I, I, it does make me think about like the kind of nature of hunting, I suppose, in a way. Um, you know, I, I am a meat eater. I'm a, I make no bones about that. I mean, like, I'm not against veganism at all. And I have a small animal that runs about this house and rules the roost. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it does. It's kind of does make you feel a bit like horrible when the the skinning scenes is kind of done with such kind of it's such a graphic nature. If you were sort of anyway kind of squeamish, you'd be a bit like, oh, I can't, I can't watch this because if you don't like that kind of... As a horror fan, it's okay for me to watch because I'm kind of used to that sort of stuff, but um, mm-hmm. it's just quite, it's quite brutal. And if you're an animal lover, this movie is not for you because it is like from... The minute they find those buffalo, they're not not being very kind to them so to speak mm. they seem to have a bit about an issue beef so to speak pardon the pun i will not pardon any such thing um yeah it's it's it can be quite difficult to watch and i think in a way because it happens so frequently you almost get like a little desensitized to it as it goes mm. along because you're just caught up in this the mayhem of like the slaughter of these animals as well um and then there's one part where they skin and just take off these like bison's testicles which obviously at that point i tap my girlfriend on the shoulder was like mine are bigger than that um (laughs) of course because i am a lad (laughs) lad noise there for all the lads listening um and then I think Fred says to Will's like, you want to save the uh, the testicles are the best part. And he, his actual words are put some starch on your pecker. Um, so when, you, when you're a growing young man in the 1800s, what you need is a real starched pecker. I don't know what that means. It's provocative, if nothing else. Um, is it kind of like a kind of a potatoey willy? Um, like sort of like. Cloudy, sort of, Willie. Cloudy yeah. with a chance of fucking bison balls. Mm. Um, st- yeah, yeehaw, I've got a starched hog, which is now going to be one of my uh, cowboy anecdotes when I go down to the old tavern 
and demand a tankard of fucking bison blood or something. I don't fucking know. I will say in terms, I don't think that I'm in any rush to ever try or eat a bison or anything like that. But there's that scene where they're sat around by the campfire and like the flames are flickering and you just see uh, Miller just tuck it into that giant steak, uh, that bit of like slab of bison meat. I was kind of thinking, I mean, I feel for the things, but they look fucking delicious. Mm, yeah, yeah, do. They were scanning it and I was like, hmm, looks like ribs. Hmm. Yeah. Get, it's get like, a nice sauce on that, yeah. nice old be- sweet babies, <laughs> stuff like that, you know? A nice, you know? Yeah. Nice yeah. bit in a pot, but of stock. Mm. Yeah, so get me you a never had. Have you ever had, um, what do they call? Are they called buffalo oysters, they're called? They're sort of like, well, they are sort of breaded gonads, but nice. I've never had them before. They're not great. Um, <laughs> you didn't get the best, of, you didn't get the starchy part. Very salty. You were completely unstarched. That's your problem. That's my problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I wasn't, or starch had been washed out of it by then in the breading. Uh, you have to sort of like firmly take the weight by the forearm and be like, no, give me the starched ones. You know, I know you know what I'm talking about. Like, so please, I, I, this is just a part-time job. I'm just trying to like pay off my car. Give me the starched fucking testes, boy, or I'll come back into that kitchen myself and I'll show you what a real starched pecker looks like. You know, this is Western Restaurant Critique 101. You know, in the Gordon Ramsay wouldn't last five minutes in my world. It's raw. <laughs> These testicles are fucking unstarched. What are you uh, doing, man, you fucker? <laughs> Where's the lambs? So, These my lamb bones. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shove that fucking butt bison rib up your ass. Who hurt you, Gordon? <laughs> Who hurt you, Gordon? Um... Yeah, that's it. They obviously they survive the whole snowstorm. We go through like a full calendar year with them, sort of spring through spring or summer through summer. I think they survive the snowstorm. Um, you know, we just fly through that six to eight months that they're out there. It's like, oh, okay, they got out of that real quick. You know, kind of undermines the jeopardy a little bit that they're in there. Two of them make it back to Butcher's Crossing by the end. Will and Miller um, find that in the time that they've been away because they. Um, under Miller's rule, they were out there too long. Um, and that's just the way the stock market works, baby. Uh, nobody's buying, selling Buffalo anymore. It's not worth anything. Could have got $4 per hide. Now it's barely worth 10 cents. Nobody wants it. Um, so JD McDonald's just gone crazy. He's just gone insane. He's just hiding out, doing whatever. And then uh, Miller burns his entire shop down, which uh, Will watches, and it looks like he's trying not to smile so much. He's like, yeah, I'm fucking into this. This guy's a lunatic. And the next funniest part of the movie, for me, the next funniest part is Miller running over J.D. McDonald with a horse, taking him out like a sack of fucking shit. He eats dirt, just goes flying like a rag doll, and I was like, yeah, that's fucking sick. Yeah, that's great. I love that. Um, so you know, I mean, I mean, towards the end, it did 
it did feel a little anticlimactic for me. I thought JD getting hit by the horse was gold. I'd have more of that. And then it sort of ends with Will just riding off into the desert. I assume just to go and, I don't know, kiss kiss a bison on the mouth or something because he's a fucking creep. Um, but what what did you sort of make of the ending? You know, did that did that work for you? Did you like the sort of the, how it all ended off with the characters there? I think it's I think it ended quite well. I think that then sort of like the the unhappy ending ending this of it, um, the kind of coming back and be like all this time, all this effort, all this like pushing pushing ourselves to madness ruining this young boy's life is for fuck all. I, f- I just loved it. I was like, right, too fucking right. It's just, you've, you've, you've fucked it. You've over-egged the pudding. You've went too far. You've been too greedy. And then you've come back. You told you about beavers. Beavers plummeted. Nobody wants fucking beaver hats. Nobody wants fucking beaver buffalo pelts anymore. You fucked it. Ha ha. Oh shit! You're gonna burn down my shop. Oh fuck! Don't do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, it does kind of end sort of abruptly because you're not really you don't necessarily get like a sort of um, at the beginning you get a kind of a, a monologue from Will at the beginning about you know him leaving in college and blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. I would have thought we'd have kind of needed a little bit of something at the end to sort of tag on like I'm going off to do this now or, or I'm going to look for a more buffalo or. <laughs> fuck this i'm out yeah just something to sort of like just to tag at the end not just like ride off randomly into the desert with no jacket on just seems irresponsible considering the fact he like he went out and like ended up in the fucking snow and couldn't leave forever and had to sleep under like a a buffalo pelt for for six months yeah it's um I, I sort of I was trying to sort of make sense of like the ending. Mm. I mean, he sort of he has that conversation with JD McDonald and he's kind of like, you know, did you um get everything that you sort of needed from it? Like was it worth it to go out of there? And he says, like, I saw what I needed to see, um, which was Nicolas Cage's hair plugs, and it fucking changed me uh forever and a day. And now he's just running for the rest of his life um, just goes out into the wilderness alone and then it kind of ends then you get the story about the buffalo and you know how Will single-handedly saved them and brought them back into circulation um, obviously but yeah it, 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 it's a bit of an anticlimactic ending it sort of leaves you a bit like oh because um, they sort of go through you know all of that for nothing really um, two people died. Fred fell into the void. Apparently, we'll never see him again. Charlie got executed. Miller's on the run. Will has seen things that no man should ever see. Um, so, you know, may, maybe Miller will just go off just to get his revenge on the buffalo. Maybe there'll be a sequel where a buffalo becomes a manhunter and goes after Miller. Buffalo's just riding a horse with like a top hat on and just, you know, goes out on a, on a uh, journey of revenge. Um, I think speaking about animals seeking revenge, one thing I'd be remiss not to sort of bring up though, which I think is one of the most interesting and 
uh, fun parts of the making of this. There was uh, that you may have seen a Hollywood Reporter roundtable at the start of 2022, um, in which Cage was joined by, um, I believe it was left to right, Jonathan Majors, Peter Dinklage, Andrew Garfield, and Simon Rex. They were sort of talking with some of the actors in sort of award conversation at the time. And Cage shared his experience of working with a horse on set called Rain Man, who Cage said tried to kill him on many occasions. He said that the experience gave him PTSD. He was asked about Rain Man in a later interview with a Hollywood reporter, and he said, and I quote, I've said what I have to say about that. We've moved on. I'm working toward brighter things in my life. I mean, Rain Man is a superb horse. I have nothing but nice things to say. Those are the words of a man who, off-camera, a horse is pointing a fucking gun at his skull. Um, So Rain Man is still out there, as far as we're aware, still trying to kill people. It's funny, Cage in the interview was like, I've always had good experience with animals, always had great experience with animals. Like, And then Rain Man, he just took off with me. He tried to buck me off, throw me off. When I got off him, I tried to be nice. He tried to headbutt me. Um... So the the most interesting thing about Butcher's Crossing is that Cage was nearly killed by a horse called Rain Man. I so. mean, not saying that I would ever, ever wish death upon next Cage, blessed be his name, but if you're going to die, you want to be killed by a horse, and a horse would be called Rain Man, after like, the Dustin Hoffman movie, I imagine. Was was the horse, you know, talking about Qantas a lot? Was it watching Tom Cruise have sex with a, a foreign woman? Did it was it good at ca- counting cards? Why did they get that name? I'm interested interested to know. I need to know more about this <laughs> this escape killer Rain Man. I think this is a horse that for whatever reason does not forget. So something happened because Jonathan Major sort of brought up um because he was discussing the movie like the harder they fall at the time and he said that he'd also worked with Rain Man a little earlier and that for him Rain Man was fine. There was no issue at all. Um and Nick was like, well I'm glad that you had a good experience with Rain Man. So something happened between Cage and that horse, but all I know now is that Cage claims we've moved on as if they fucking divorced or something. It's an, an amicable split. So They've come to an agreement on some terms and decided, like, right, okay, we can... Let's move past this. We're bigger... Me- <laughs> I've seen we're bigger men, but you're a bigger horse. I'm a man. I'm an actor called Nicolas Cage. Yeah. <laughs> you're a horse that's been called after a Dustin Hoffman movie. <laughs> I'm sure you had a, had a a sister called Tootsie, yeah, and one called Marathon Man. I don't know. I try to try naming Dawson Hoffman movies. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting to sort of make amends with a horse. I mean, that's the kind of kind, kind of yes. person Nicholas Cage is. I would expect nothing less. Nicholas Cage just have a sit down, powwow, sort of a a parley with an equine actor. <laughs> I mean, I I was I was just trying to Google if there was any sort of more information, and then um, 
Yeah, I just Googled like Rain Man horse, and there's a Google image of like a picture of Nicolas Cage and then a horse in the rain. Um, there's a photoshopped image of a horse with Nicolas Cage's face, which is terrifying. Um, and then there's just other pictures of like Nicolas Cage doing that bug eyed face from Vampire's Kiss and a horse whinnying. So I don't know. There's There's some big stories out there, but I have to imagine. Because obviously there was some CGI in this movie that um, the way the way it makes sense in my head is that they for what for something happened offset. Rayman refused to work with Nicolas Cage, wouldn't stop trying to kill him and run him into like bison herds and kill him like Simba's dad in The Lion King. So they had to CGI in a horse, and Nicolas Cage was just on like a pantomime horse, just two people in a costume, that green screen material on those little white balls. Um, and he was just screaming at like just two people in a costume going, fuck for me. Nay. Um, that's, that's the only way, that's the only way I choose to accept the, uh, the tale of Rain Man. I can just imagine this. Now I just have this image conjured of like a pantomime horse. Like just <laughs> someone from Aladdin or something like that, or like Sleeping Beauty, you would see sort of like the London Pavilion or something like that, starring you know the Crankies, and you know it's like just two men in a horribly old, should have been binned years ago horse costume with Nicholas yeah. Cage on the top of it. Yeah, far from me. <laughs> They've uh Noble Steed. The, the 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 pantomime horse refuses to retire. Just arthritis, creaking bones. Will will not take the costume off. Absolutely stinks of piss. They call them the rain the rain men. The horse rain men. Nicolas Cage was the only one that could tame two men in a costume. And then, like Fred, they also threw themselves off a cliff. It was, you know, if you watch closely, you can see um, a man's face in all of those pelts as they go plummeting off the cliff. That was a death we witnessed. And we sat by and did nothing. <laughs> I mean, it didn't even get a Wilhelm scream. They kind of like the goofy, I've just fallen off a cliff sound. Yeah. It needed that. That would have just been... I would have sweetened the deal a little bit. Oh, he's dead, but you get this weird Disney sound effect as he falls off. Cart over the hill, over the inter mountain. Yeah, I might ask him. Um, I might sort of tweet Gay Polsky and be like, with the greatest of respect to the efforts you put into this movie, can you give me the Rain Man cut? I want all the footage. Of Cage just appearing smaller and smaller in the distance as that horse fucking bolted with him on it. And at every possible opportunity, even when it's completely at odds with the scene, I want a Wilhelm scream. I want someone just in the throes of death fighting for their life. Um, and, I, and I think if you do that, if you follow my very, very silly goose advice there is a grand opportunity here for this movie to beat Killers of the Flower Moon this year. I feel it. I feel it down in my bison plums. <laughs> I think we need the Criterion Collection with that 
as the bonus features. Um, or the 4K Arrow <laughs> transfer with all this sort of... And, and we are very much away, um, available, as you say, for recording audio commentary of the Rain Man Cup. Um, our fees are nominal. <laughs> um, very low, very low. Yeah. Um, so get us in there, Arrow. Yeah, get me in a booth to record commentary. My only demand is it must be with the horse. Get me in a booth. I don't care what happens to me. It all makes the edit. The people um, have to know this horse's side of the story. I mean, Rain Man's only can really ask for like maybe sugar cubes or the odd apple or maybe of, some hay. The blood of a man. The blood of a man. <laughs> yeah, all those Simple classic demands. horse things. Yeah, carrot, sugar, blood. Classic horse demands. <laughs> those pantomime horses, they've uh, really lost their way post-COVID. It's, yeah. it's been difficult to be a pantomime horse. You know, the rituals just aren't the way they used to be, you know. So, with, uh, <laughs> I think on that terrifying um, bombshell, uh, I think probably time to sort of start coming in and bringing our time at Butcher's Crossing to a close as we leave the blazing shack of pelts in the uh, Yondi rearview mirror. But in closing... Uh, Larry, what would be your your final thoughts, your final takeaways on Butcher's Crossing? I would say if you're looking for <clears throat> the very niche movie where Nicolas Cage hunts Buffalo, shoots him, goes mad, turns another man mad, a man shits himself in the Long Johns. Um, if you like those kind of movies, then watch this movie. Um, it's worth it for watching for Nicolas Cage alone. I think he's he's he does a good turn on it, as my gran would say. Um, not one of his best, but certainly not one of his worst. So I would definitely give it a look. I've not looked at the the reviews so far, so I can't kind of speak to how other people are feeling about it. But I I would probably recommend him like my dad or something, my dad and my granddad, the kind of the people that would really appreciate that sort of movie. I don't really mind if it's like slightly dodgy and a little bit like graphic, and as long as the guys get like a a bearskin jacket, they're quite happy. <laughs> so yeah, check check out Butcher Cross, and I think you think you might enjoy it more than I did, but I still liked it quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree with agree with a lot of that. I mean, at the time of recording. Um, the Rotten Tomatoes reviews, which may well change by the episode by the time this episode comes out, seventy-two uh, percent from critics, fifty percent from audiences. So, um, critically speaking, not doing too bad. Uh, Letterbox currently has it about three out of five stars. So, it's an okay film. I don't know if it's one that I'm necessarily going to go out of my way to revisit. I think, like we said at the top of the episode. Um, I'm definitely keen to revisit the book, if nothing else, because I, again, I think it's you know an absolutely fantastic book, beautifully written. Um, so, you know, that's definitely worth your time. And you know, on top of what's already been a very prolific and productive year for Cage, two westerns, it's not um, 
you know, will people be talking about Butcher's Crossing by the end of the year? Is it going to be on anyone's top lists? I doubt it, but it's not a terrible entry into the Cage repertoire. Um, Cage is very much sort of the, I think, the best thing about this movie and his, his acting, I think, is, you know, a couple of leagues above the other people that he's in there with. But, you know, one year, two Cage Westerns, can't really complain at that. Maybe worth a watch um, if you can sort of access it, but I, I, with all fairness, I couldn't see you missing out on too much if you give this one a skip as well. Because you know, at the time of recording, we're just around the corner from dream scenario, baby. So this, you know, we got to go over the hurdles to get to the finish line, um, and that's uh, that's the juicy bison steak that I'm waiting for. But with that said. It is time to uh, thank Larry Reed once again. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to discuss Butcher's Crossing with me. Um, a joy to have you on. And for the listener, uh, where can they find you? Sort of online, on the socials, and all that good business as well. Yeah, well, I just want to thank you, Daryl, for having me on. It's been awesome. It's been an I've, I think I've nearly died about 15 times from laughing, but um, <laughs> if viewers want to find me, you can find me at my podcast, uh, Your Move Creep, um, where I talk about 80s and 90s action movies up to the year 2000. Um, you can find me on Twitter and and, and Instagram on Your MC Podcast. Um, I'm Your Move Larry on Twitter. Uh, I'm also also do Twitch stream on Saturday. Yeah, again, you remove Larry, where I kind of watch, play some kind of action movie inspired games, some action movie franchise games, you know, from the NES, NES, etc. And also watch a kind of a very dodgy action movie at the end of the stream for the last hour and a half. Um, we've watched a couple of fun shorts from um, some a- Scottish action heroes um, called Brian Larkin. Um, and if you want to come check me out, it's fun. I do it about half eight at the night. It's nice to wind down your kind of weekends watching me talk about a very dodgy action movie. But yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, come and say hello. Come and check out the podcast. Tell me it's good. Tell me it's shit. Basically. <laughs> we always appreciate honest feedback here in the podcasting yes. world. Um, but wonderful stuff. All the links in the description as per usual. And with that said... We come to a close on this week's episode. So, dear listener, dear friend, thank you for listening. If you have been, we will catch you in the next one. But until then, and as ever, keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Thank you, take care, and goodbye.